Chapter Ten of the Mayor of Casterbridge. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mayor of Casterbridge by Thomas Hardy. Chapter Ten. While she still sat under the Scotchman's eyes, a man came up to the door, reaching it as Henchard opened the door of the inner office to admit Elizabeth. The newcomer stepped forward like the quicker cripple at Bethesda, and entered in her stead. She could hear his words to Henchard. "'Joshua Jopp, sir, by appointment, the new manager.' "'The new manager?' "'He's in his office,' said Henchard bluntly. "'In his office?' said the man, with a stultified air. "'I mentioned Thursday,' said Henchard, "'and as you did not keep your appointment, I have engaged another manager. "'At first I thought he must be you.' "'Do you think I can wait when business is in question?' "'You said Thursday or Saturday, sir,' said the newcomer, pulling out a letter. "'Well, you are too late,' said the corn factor. "'I can say no more.' "'You as good as engaged me,' murmured the man. "'Subject to an interview,' said Henchard. "'I am sorry for you, very sorry indeed, but it can't be helped.' There was no more to be said, and the man came out, encountering Elizabeth Jane in his passage. She could see that his mouth twitched with anger, and that bitter disappointment was written in his face everywhere. Elizabeth Jane now entered and stood before the master of the premises. His dark pupils, which always seemed to have a red spark of light in them, though this could hardly be a physical fact, turned indifferently round under his dark brows until they rested on her figure. "'Now, then, what is it, my young woman?' he said blandly. "'Can I speak to you?' "'Not on business, sir?' said she. "'Yes, I suppose.' He looked at her more thoughtfully. "'I am sent to tell you, sir,' she innocently went on, "'that a distant relative of yours by marriage, Susan Newson, a sailor's widow, "'is in the town, and to ask whether you would wish to see her.' The rich ruset noir of his countenance underwent a slight change. "'Oh, Susan is still alive?' he asked, with difficulty. "'Yes, sir.' "'Are you her daughter?' "'Yes, sir, her only daughter.' "'What do you call yourself, your Christian name?' "'Elizabeth Jane, sir.' "'Newson?' "'Elizabeth Jane Newson.' This at once suggested to Henchard that the transaction of his early married life at Waden Fair was unrecorded in the family history. It was more than he could have expected. His wife had behaved kindly to him in return for his unkindness, and had never proclaimed her wrong to her child or to the world. "'I am a good deal interested in your news,' he said. "'And as this is not a matter of business but pleasure, suppose we go indoors.' It was with a gentle delicacy of manner, surprising to Elizabeth, that he showed her out of the office and through the outer room, where Donald Farfrae was overhauling bins and samples with the inquiring inspection of a beginner in charge. Henchard preceded her through the door in the wall to the suddenly changed scene of the garden and flowers, and onward into the house. The dining-room to which he introduced her still exhibited the remnants of the lavish breakfast laid for Farfrae. It was furnished to profusion with heavy mahogany furniture of the deepest red Spanish hues, Pembroke tables, with leaves hanging so low that they well-nigh touched the floor, stood against the walls on legs and feet shaped like those of an elephant, 
and on one lay three huge folio volumes, a family Bible, a Josephus, and a whole duty of man. In the chimney-corner was a fire-grate with a fluted semicircular back, having urns and festoons cast in relief thereon, and the chairs were of the kind which, since that day, has cast lustre upon the names of Chippendale and Sheraton, though in point of fact their patterns may have been such as those illustrious carpenters never saw or heard of. "'Sit down, Elizabeth Jane, sit down,' he said, with a shake in his voice, as he uttered her name, and sitting down himself he allowed his hands to hang between his knees while he looked upon the carpet. "'Your mother, then, is quite well?' "'She is rather worn out, sir, with travelling. "'A sailor's widow. When did he die?' "'Father was lost last spring.' Henchard winced at the word father thus applied. "'Do you and she come from abroad, America or Australia?' he asked. "'No, we have been in England some years. I was twelve when we came here from Canada.' "'Ah, exactly.' By such conversation he discovered the circumstances which had enveloped his wife and her child in such total obscurity that he had long ago believed them to be in their graves.' These things being clear, he returned to the present. And where is your mother staying? At the Three Mariners. And you are her daughter, Elizabeth Jane, repeated Henchard. He arose, came close to her, and glanced in her face. I think, he said suddenly, turning away with a wet eye, you shall take a note from me to your mother. I should like to see her. She is not left very well off by her late husband. His eye fell on Elizabeth's clothes, which, though a respectable suit of black and her very best, were decidedly old-fashioned, even to Casterbridge eyes. "'Not very well,' she said, glad that he had divined this, without her being obliged to express it. He sat down at the table and wrote a few lines, next taking from his pocket-book a five-pound note, which he put in the envelope with the letter, adding to it, as if by an afterthought, five shillings. Sealing the hole up carefully, he directed it to Mrs. Newson, Three Mariners Inn, and handed the packet to Elizabeth. "'Deliver it to her personally, please,' said Henchard. "'Well, I am glad to see you here, Elizabeth Jane, very glad. We must have a long talk together, but not just now.' He took her hand at parting, and held it so warmly that she, who had known so little friendship, was much affected, and tears rose to her aerial grey eyes. The instant that she was gone, Henchard's state showed itself more distinctly. Having shut the door, he sat in his dining-room, stiffly erect, gazing at the opposite wall as if he read his history there. "'Begad!' he suddenly exclaimed, jumping up. "'I didn't think of that. Perhaps these are impostors, and Susan and the child dead after all.' However, a something in Elizabeth Jane soon assured him that, as regarded her at least, there could be little doubt." and a few hours would settle the question of her mother's identity, for he had arranged in his note to see her that evening. "'It never rains but it pours,' said Henchard. His keenly excited interest in his new friend the Scotchman was now eclipsed by this event, and Donald Farfrae saw so little of him during the rest of the day that he wondered at the suddenness of his employer's moods. In the meantime Elizabeth had reached the inn, her mother, instead of taking the note with the curiosity of a poor woman expecting assistance, was much moved at sight of it. She did not read it at once, asking Elizabeth to describe her reception and the very words Mr. Henchard used. 
Elizabeth's back was turned when her mother opened the letter. It ran thus. "'Meet me at eight o'clock this evening, if you can, at the ring on the Budmouth Road. The place is easy to find. I can say no more now. The news upsets me almost. The girl seems to be in ignorance. Keep her so till I have seen you. M. H.' He said nothing about the enclosure of five guineas. The amount was significant. It may tacitly have said to her that he bought her back again. She waited restlessly for the close of the day, telling Elizabeth Jane that she was invited to see Mr. Henchard, that she would go alone. But she said nothing to show that the place of meeting was not at his house, nor did she hand the note to Elizabeth. End of chapter 10